1: This is an exclusive audio presentation of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.
0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome.
1: We journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution want to take a minute to thank our subscribers. Because of your support, we were able to make this podcast available to everyone. Our reporting and local journalism is because of subscriber support of our newspaper. If you are not a print or digital newspaper subscriber, join us. Go to AJC.com and sign up today. Thank you, and continue to follow our reporting in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and online at AJC.com.
0: Today I'm joined by the great political insider columnist Patricia Murphy. Patricia, thanks for joining the show.
1: Thank you, Greg. Another great week in Georgia politics.
0: Another busy one, and let's get right (laughs) to it. When Donald Trump last came to Georgia to hold a rally, a few days before the January 5th Senate runoff's, he made a promise all campaigning for Kelly Leffler and David Perdue. I'm gonna be here in a year and a half and I'm gonna be campaigning against your governor and your crazy
1: secretary of state, that I can tell you.
0: So that would put the timeline around, I don't know, sometime around next year, middle of next year. Uh, well, he has significantly sped up that timeline. We won't have to wait until 2022. Trump will be in Rome later this month. And no, he will not be inviting Brian Kemp. Here's a snippet of his interview with John Fredericks over at WMLB Radio a few days ago. I told him, Brian, you're going to win. I didn't even know. But I said, Brian, you're going to win. Congrats. No, I'm not going to win. I don't think so, sir. I said, you're going to win. When I looked at the crowd. They were there for me, not
1: for him. They didn't know who he was. Mm -hmm. He ends up winning. And then when I asked him for help on a special session for election integrity, sir, I won't be able to do that. I said, you got to be kidding. So, you know, it's one thing has nothing
0: to do with the other, but he's a disaster. He is a disaster. We've heard former President Trump call the governor a moron, say he was ashamed to have endorsed him, call for him to resign. Now he's calling him a disaster. No shock to anyone who's been following Georgia politics about their long, long uh, uh, rivalry with each other, their long feud, I should say. It's pretty one-sided, actually. Um, But, you know, Donald Trump is bringing the internal... Civil war among Republicans to Georgia later on this month. Patricia, what's your take on all of it?
1: So, do you remember at the end of the campaign, one of Trump's big themes, and he would say this over and over, and so did his voters promises made, promises kept. Um, I'm going to put this in the promises made, promises kind of kept. This is more of a threat than a promise, but he's doing it anyway. Yes, he is coming to Georgia much sooner than he promised to do, but when he said he was going to be campaigning against the governor, I think we all assumed that he would have a candidate and would have already had a primary opponent to put up against the governor. And even though Governor Kemp does have a primary opponent in Vernon Jones, Donald Trump has not endorsed Vernon Jones yet. Vernon Jones, I expect, will be in Rome. It will be so interesting to me. That's what I'll really be watching. We know what he's going to say about Brian Kemp. That's not hard. Who's he going to talk about who's going to be running against Brian Kemp? And then, you know, I had not heard that audio before, uh, but it it almost sounded like he was confessing to the crime he's been accused of here in Georgia, which is election interference. That investigation is going to play itself out, but he's coming into a state where it feels like the campaign never ended and his return to Georgia um, to continue to relitigate. And obviously, we're going to hear a lot about his complaints about the 2020 elections. It feels like it never stopped and it is just firing back up again.
0: You're right about the never stop feeling, um, the ceaseless campaign. He certainly there are Republicans who felt like he was going to fade away, that he was going to be you know yesterday's story and that you know the 2024 candidates would be this new crop of Republicans, but certainly he continues to be this unique power <laughs> in the Republican Party, and he's slowly assembling this pro-Trump slate in Georgia. Um, you mentioned he doesn't have a candidate for governor yet because Doug Collins passed on a run. His aides are trying to convince Senator, former Senator David Perdue to run, but we're not sure that's getting anywhere. Um, but further down the ticket, he has created a slate. He's got Jody Heiss running for Secretary of State against Brad Raffensperger, who you also heard in the audio he, he bashed. Uh, you've got Burt Jones running for an open Lieutenant Governor's seat, uh, vacated by Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, who was one of his harshest critics in Georgia and really around the nation. And the biggest name on that ticket is Herschel Walker. Herschel entered the race just a few weeks ago. Uh, At Donald Trump's urging.
1: And then this week, we got a formal endorsement from President Trump for Herschel Walker and for Burt Jones. Um, And it really does set up this incredible dynamic within the Republican Party. Um, We know Donald Trump is the strongest animating force among a big chunk of the GOP base. However, he's not a uh, his support doesn't guarantee a win in Georgia, otherwise uh, Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue would be senators and Donald Trump would be the president still. Um, so we just don't know what this is gonna do to the Republicans, except um, really highlight some divisions within the party. And um, it's Republicans are finding they can't live with them, they can't live without them, they can't win with them, they can't win without them. And uh, that was the dynamic in 2020. And by inserting himself so strongly and so loudly up and down the ticket in so many races, and I think I would expect him to get involved in other races. I could even envision some state Senate races. You know, he tends to sort of come out with these endorsements you never saw coming. And it's whoever is good for Trump is going to get Trump's approval and his endorsement. And so I think this is the first of many many instances where Donald Trump is going to be with us um, again and again.
0: Will he endorse in the Bullock County Commission race? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, I think you're right. I, I won't be surprised to see him endorse down the ticket too, for like you know, insurance commissioner, labor commissioner. Uh, he is singularly obsessed with Georgia. He sent dozens of mass emails about, about lo- false claims of election fraud in Georgia since losing his Twitter platform. Uh, he has attacked Governor Kemp. He's attacked Brad Raffensperger uh, over and over again, as we heard in that, in that audio. Um, you hit the nail on the head with the conundrum Republicans are facing because they're going against the United Democratic Front, right? Um, Stacey Abrams is expected to run for governor again. Raphael Warnock has no formidable opponent in his, in his re-election campaign for U.S. Senate. He's got national and state party figures behind him, lots of fundraising power activists who are energized by uh, Joe Biden's agenda. Um, So Democrats have have a lot going for them. But look, Republicans also have numbers on their side, too. But they also have this internal battle to worry about. And and as you kind of mentioned, Donald Trump's endorsement can help get you the, the Republican nomination. But will it will it also help you lose the general election?
1: Yeah, we just don't know. I think um, you know, the Senate race is gonna be such an interesting place to watch this dynamic play out because Herschel Walker is obviously Donald Trump's favorite. He wanted him in that race. Um, Republicans have in another year they would they have three candidates who you could easily envision being the Republican nominee for Senate and a strong Republican nominee for Senate, um, with Gary Black, Latham Sadler, and Kelvin King. Those are all guys who have lots of experience, either in national security. In Latham Sadler's case, uh, Gary Black has been elected statewide multiple times. Kelvin King, um, Air Force Academy graduate. Uh, these are all guys who you who would be popular among the uh, among Republican voters were it not for Donald Trump telling them to get behind Herschel Walker. And Herschel Walker so far has just been a curiously quiet candidate for a Senate race that we've been anticipating that he would get in. I assumed he would have had a little more ducks in a row by now so that when he declared, he would be out and about and campaigning and actively becoming a candidate. But we just haven't seen that quite yet. And so for Republicans looking at uh, what's their best ticket going forward, that Senate race is really going to, um, I think, present uh, either the best of times or the worst of times once they get through that.
0: And you mentioned the curiously quiet strategy uh, or approach from Herschel Walker. I'm glad you mentioned that because he's, he's running this unconventional campaign. We're already seeing it. He hasn't done any media interviews with anyone other than friendly interviewers on Fox News. He hasn't had any public campaign events. Uh, it's been football fundraisers and Fox News so far. Our producer, Jay Black, spent his Wednesday night putting together a montage of everything we've heard from Herschel Walker since he spoke with Fox News about a Senate candidacy about two weeks ago. Let's listen. (laughs) So. (laughs) That was good. good. Uh, But look, (laughs) despite the private fundraisers, he is at least sending out uh, public statements. Uh, I was a little surprised when after um, the Supreme Court refused to, to to block Texas's anti-abortion law a few days ago, um, we rounded up comments from all the Senate candidates and a lot of other candidates. And his, he was the only one not to comment on that decision. Since then, Patricia, uh, you at least wrangled a comment about how he feels about the overall idea of abortion.
1: Yeah, that's right. I wrote a column for Wednesday for the AJC, which was almost a week after the Supreme Court uh, came down with its decision about the Texas law. And even by then, Herschel Walker's campaign had not said anything about his position on abortion. They did send me a statement. It wasn't a big surprise. It said, of course, Herschel Walker is strongly pro-life and will support constitutional conservatives for federal judgeships. But that's not a lot of detail for a very specific question that voters have in front of them, and that is uh, the Georgia law that is right now held up in courts will um, now be coming up again. We have a kind of a live piece of of legislation and law that does ban abortion after six weeks here in the state, and all the other candidates talk about the Georgia law. They support the Georgia law. They do think that uh, that a ban after six weeks is appropriate, but Herschel Walker's office did not get into any great detail. And he's the only candidate who actually used to live in Texas. So I thought he would have a lot more to say on this. I think it would have been an opportunity for voters to learn a lot more about him as a candidate and not a football player. But they decided not to go there quite yet.
0: Yeah, and, and, and I'm sure they will at some point later on in the campaign. But right now, as we mentioned, it is a kind of celebrity campaign. He's, he's banking on his high visibility, his high name recognition the fact that he's already in front of, uh, or he's already neck and neck with Raphael Warnock in some of these early polls. And and it really presents, as you said earlier, the challenge for the other three, who by the way, knew very well this possibility was, was, was that Herschel Walker was likely to get in the race and was likely, was going to get Trump's endorsement. So this was no surprise to any of those three. And I always think about that because to, to Brian Kemp, when he got um, Trump's endorsement, it came in 2018, it was a complete surprise. I think there was murmurings that it could happen, but it took him off guard. It certainly took Casey Cagle off guard. Uh, It's not like either of them entered the race knowing that they'd be opposed by the sitting Republican president. Usually presidents stay out of those types of races, right? So in this case, I mean, my first questions to all three of them when they entered the race and even before they entered the race is, what do you do if slash when Herschel gets in? And now they're confronting that and they're doing so by trying to in some ways, gently and in some ways more aggressively, contrast themselves with Herschel Walker, either by highlighting their military experience, by talking about their public service, or in Gary Black's case, the agriculture commissioner, going right after him saying, hey, you don't live in Georgia. Uh, His campaign spokesman said the other day that you've been running a Biden in the basement campaign. So that's pretty harsh words uh, (laughs) for, for, for a Republican going against another Republican and comparing them to Joe Biden's. 2020 strategy. Uh, so it could get a lot nastier out there.
1: Oh, I think it is definitely going to get a lot nastier. And I think a lot about this. To me, the internal dialogue for somebody like Gary Black, who is a huge Georgia football fan, um, and for all of Dog Nation now to be presented with this conundrum of, we have this absolute hero among Georgia football fans. And some of those Georgia football fans are gonna have to be going after Walker to get themselves elected. Uh, Latham Sadler also went to Georgia, but they really are presented with this situation where they're choosing between either sort of a positive contrast Or in Gary Black's case, um, particularly with the campaign he's got behind him, they've made the calculation, it's not going to be enough just to be the nice ag commissioner. You're going to have to do a whole lot more to get in front of Herschel Walker. And I think that there's also this calculation there's not four tickets past the primary. You've got to either be either ahead of Herschel Walker or right behind him. And so they recognize they're going to have to distinguish themselves, at least among the not Herschel Walker candidates. And then ideally, either of Walker doesn't last the entire primary, or if it comes down just to two of them, you've got to at least be the alternative to Herschel Walker. And so they've—they're all making their calculations right now about how they're going to choose the path forward on that.
0: Yeah, I've heard that narrative a lot from from Republicans. Every time, you know, we wrote a story a couple of days ago about a police report involving a, another ex ex girlfriend, ex lover of Herschel Walker, who um, who accused him of threatening her life with a gun. Uh, and every time we see one of these stories, I get texts from from, you know, well-known Republicans saying, "Oh, he's not gonna make it. Oh, this is gonna this is gonna be the end of him. And it's not. and 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 I just it, going into this, there are a lot of Republicans who feel like he won't make it to the primary. He won't he'll drop out before. And I see no indication of that whatsoever. Of course, things could change, but uh, that's not the strategy, really. For, for the th- three other Republicans, they're gunning for the runoff. I mean, of course, you know if, you're, if they're secretly hoping he does drop out, I'm sure, if you gave him truth serum, but they're gunning for, for a runoff scenario. They're trying to keep him under, under 50. They know that he'll probably come in first by a, by, by a decent margin, but if they can keep him under 50 in a, in a four-week runoff, because now it's four weeks instead of nine weeks, thank the, thank the Lord, uh, but in a four-week runoff, um, they feel like anything can happen, and look, there's down-ticket races too. Other, uh, other, other statewide races that will also likely uh, head into runoffs. And one of them that we're watching very closely is, is Secretary of State Jody Heiss. Also has Trump's endorsement. The challenge: Brad Raffensperger. Raffensperger says he's running um, for re-election. Uh, David Belisle and um, and others are also in that race. Um, and and Jody Heiss's decision to run for Secretary of State has has set up a domino effect leaving his very conservative House District open and this week we had a a fairly big piece of uh, a big development with with Jody Heiss throwing his support behind State Rep Timothy Barr in his first ad.
1: You gotta remember why you're there. You gotta remember these kids.
0: I will fight like their future depends on it.
1: Well that's good Tim because it does.
0: Maverick, put the mud down. Stop!
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> a candidate. You better be prepared for a lot more of that.
0: Mud-slinging, mud-slinging. And there will be a lot of mudslinging in that 10th District race. There's some self-funders in that race, Mike Collins. Uh, is running in the race, and Mike Collins has been everywhere. I've seen him very far afield from the tenth district. I've seen him at rallies and up in Rome and Marjorie Taylor Greene's district. I've seen him in Middle Georgia. That guy is everywhere, uh, and he's got uh, some some smart advisors who are very close to the Trump camp. With him, there's something like a dozen candidates that are expected to be in the, in that race. And Patricia, as you heard, there'll be some mudslinging.
1: There will definitely, definitely be some mudslinging. I think with such a hugely crowded Republican field, that Heiss endorsement is really important because Jody Heiss is very popular in that district. And had Jody Heiss decided to run again, he would have easily run again. He typically wins with more than 60% of the vote over there. And so for him to come out, this was Timothy Barr's very first ad. This was not a question of, I wonder what Jody Heiss is going to do. Uh, would he wait until close To the primary, would he talk to all the candidates and see what he thinks? Obviously, he knows a lot of these guys pretty well. Anyway, he came out with in Timothy Barr's very first ad, and it was a minute long. I mean, that is it was a serious commitment for somebody who is a sitting member of Congress and somebody who's running for his own statewide election. I was thinking this must have taken him a long time to do this ad, Um, and so it's this very personal ad. And they're they've got not only Timothy Barr's kids. But also Jody Heiss's grandchildren are in the ad. So that to me just says this is not just a, well, I've talked to everybody and this is the one I like the best. This is, I'm Jody Heiss and this is who should replace me. And to have his own grandkids in it was about as strong endorsement as you can get from a popular sitting member of Congress in that seat. Um, Now, Mike Collins, obviously his dad was in Congress as well. So he has a lot of ties around the state and a lot of Republicans pulling for him as well. But this will be another one of those fields, I think, where it's a crowded field and it's going to come down to just a couple uh, you know, really come down to just the top two trying to get through to the primary and then voters will really have a decision to make. Tim Barr also is a member of the legislature. He's pretty well known in that district as well and so these are the two guys making the most noise along with demolition man Matt Richards who is uh, going around with his sledgehammer and I think also has done a really effective job of getting his name out there as well. Lots of candidates but that's who we're hearing the most from so far
0: now you could read about all that along with plenty more about georgia politics in the daily jolt that every morning and for me every night patricia myself and tia mitchell collaborate on uh patricia you wake up at like 3 a.m in the morning sometimes i stay up until around then (laughs) working on the jolt and and the other day we told you that congressman hank johnson and david scott have pushed the governor to put a statewide pause on elective surgeries.
1: At least until the surgery goes down. And quite honestly, it may be just a week. It may
0: be two or three. It all depends. That was Congressman Scott on Channel 2 Action News. Grady Hospital has suspended its elective surgeries. Dozens of other smaller hospitals around the state have done so as well. Governor Kemp has responded saying he will not demand that hospitals do so. He'll leave it up to the hospitals. In a letter, he also pointedly told those two congressmen if they want to help, they can do two things. They can help in the bidding wars between states over contract nurses, and they can also push the Biden administration to give clearer guidance on how it's going to distribute coronavirus booster vaccines. But Kemp did take another big step just a few days ago. Uh, he took he allowed all state employees, all public employees to do a four-day Labor Day weekend uh, giving them this past Friday off to try to encourage them to get vaccinated.
1: Just wanna encourage all state employees to enjoy their day off and to consider going and getting vaccinated. This is a thank you to those that have already been vaccinated and giving folks a free day to have time to go get vaccinated to help us put an end to COVID-19.
0: We'll soon see if it worked, but we know that vaccination rates are still stubbornly around 42, 43% in Georgia, and that hospitals are filling up almost entirely Among coronavirus cases almost entirely among the people who are not yet vaccinated
1: yeah we're really seeing that hospitals in georgia are just at this complete breaking point i think it has come as a surprise to a lot of people because half of the state not quite half the state is at least vaccinated but The Delta variant is so contagious, and for those people who are not vaccinated, it is just too dangerous to live your life the way you want to, and that's what's just abundantly clear. For Grady Hospital, um, not only have they said that now they can't do elective surgeries, they tried to go on diversion over the weekend and tried to tell ambulances not to come because they simply cannot handle the load, and there were no other hospitals to take those patients to, so they just went ahead and were treating people as best they can. And so we've gotten to this point where it may not require the governor to say, hey, there may not be any elective surgeries. These hospitals know when they have too much to handle and they have too much to handle right now. They simply don't have the nurses and doctors who are now being tasked to treat COVID patients instead of their own rotations. They just don't have the bodies and the personnel to do both at the same time. And while the governor, I don't think he needs to make that statewide mandate about what hospitals can and can't do because they know, it still feels like it is uh, not um, enough what's been done so far to get people vaccinated. And now at this point, it's not just to get them vaccinated, it's to convince them to get themselves vaccinated. It is a public health crisis, and I think it's a public policy crisis. And it's also a crisis, I think, in people's trust in government. And uh, it's a crisis in um, the limits to what politicians are willing to do, not what they are able to do. And so I don't really know how the state gets out of this. There are a lot of problems that we see the state have when it comes to the budget or when it comes to any number of things. You can imagine what is the scenario to get yourself out of this. I don't know what we do from here. Um, And as a governor... um, not just up for re-election, but as a governor leading a state, Governor Kemp has a real problem on his hands. These hospitals are at their capacity and something's got to give. And I I really don't know what it's going to be. And so we'll be watching the governor's office carefully um, to see they they can't, they're not in control of COVID, um, but it will become his responsibility in voters' minds how we get out of this, Um, particularly because going into the first wave of COVID, he did say, I'm the COVID governor. I will be judged on how the state manages through this crisis. And this crisis is absolutely not over yet. And and nor is his responsibility, I think, um, in voters' minds.
0: Yeah, a lot of uncertainty. Um, And with that, um, we encourage you guys all to be safe. Take precautions. get, And if you haven't already, please, please, please go get vaccinated. And thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Thank you, Patricia, for joining. Thanks, Greg.
1: Producer for this podcast is me, Jay
0: Black, and guest star for today's episode is Charlie the Dog. You hear him? Crap. I, mean, I swear to God. Hold on. let me, want me to go get him? Jesus. Sorry. <laughs> Charlie, you stop it? All right, so start back over <laughs> with the... Uh... Oh, my God, Charlie, I can't <laughs> do this with you right now. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening.